0: Safety Chick Rules, the podcast with incredible stories of survivors, experts, and ordinary people doing extraordinary things, all with the mission to fight the bad guys. This isn't your ordinary true crime podcast. This one gives you the tools to live a safe and empowered life, fighting crime one tip at a time. Hello, and welcome to the Safety Chick Rules Show. I am Kathleen Gallagher. The safety chick. Today's show is um, gut wrenching, um, but necessary, very necessary to talk about. We're going to talk about um, teen violence today, teen dating violence. And, you know, while, you know, I think February is Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month, and I've done um, shows before on teen dating violence, and I I do safety tips, Um, I've written sections in my College Safety 101 about domestic violence and and all of that. So, you know, I know it's really very prevalent, but I really don't think it's talked about enough um, because it is so prevalent. And, you know, children at a young age, just with puberty and starting to date and, and all of those things, don't have the emotional intellect or the experience to really understand that, yeah, you know, boys or girls or whatever don't treat each other that way. And I think, um, you know, the more we can get the message out to parents to teach their children in in whatever aspect and, you know, young people to just kind of share about their various experiences, I only think that that helps in our cause of, you know, safety tips and, and caring about your personal safety and all of that. So... I was going and looking up, because it was recently Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month, different statistics. And 33% of adolescents in America are a victim to sexual, physical, verbal, or emotional dating abuse. I thought, wow, 33%. And females between the ages of 16 and 24 are roughly three times more likely than the rest of the population to be abused by an intimate partner. I think this is a big one. Violent behavior often begins between 6th and 12th grade. 70 72% of 13 and 14 year olds are, you know, dating. And and again, we go back to think kids I know this sounds cliché, but kids are way more advanced than, you know, decades ago and and just dealing with so many different things now that that Um, it really is a shame and really bad, bad things can happen. Um, And I think the other thing that I was reading, too, is that, you know, teens who have been abused hesitate to seek help because they don't want to expose themselves or they're unaware of laws that surround domestic violence. You know, domestic violence conjures up, um, you know, a married woman and an older group of people. And so, you know, it's really important to know that, boy, this can happen really through adolescence. And I think there's no um, better person than our guest today, Drew Cassenti, who, Crescenti, sorry, who founded Jennifer Ann's group and in honor of his daughter, who was a victim of teen dating violence. And um, I'm just excited to hear his story and how he started the foundation because what he started is something amazing. So welcome, Drew. And really, thanks for being here. And I, I just really would love to hear, first of all, just tell us a little bit about Je- uh, Jennifer.
1: Um, I'd be happy to. First of all, Kathleen, thank you so much for not only inviting me to participate and talk to you today, but thank you so much for covering this topic. Because as you said, teen dating violence does not get nearly as much attention as, as it needs to get. Um, Jennifer was, I mean, she's my only child. Uh, so as a, you know, as a proud parent, I'm obviously very biased, but she was uh, a wonderful person. She was. Uh, she loved animals. She volunteered at an animal shelter. She was also a volunteer at a, a hospital as a candy striper. Uh, she loved the arts. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be in uh, a couple of community theater productions with Jennifer. We we participated in those together. Uh, she was a person who had you know her 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 life ahead of her. Um, but unfortunately, you know, she was a senior in high school in her last semester when her life was cut short, very short. And she was killed by uh, her ex-boyfriend. Um, I was really surprised uh, that teen dating violence is as prevalent and as dangerous as it is. And I'm not alone, 81% of parents are unaware of teen dating violence or otherwise don't believe that teen dating violence is a serious issue. And so, you know, losing Jennifer was difficult in and of itself, obviously. But my identity as a parent was also lost to some extent and not knowing really what to do um, in order to do something in Jennifer's name and in her memory and to feel that she would continue to have an impact on others, obviously not the impact she would have had had she survived, but in order to have her name continue to, um, go on and to have her help others through her name, I created Jennifer Ann's group.
0: Um, when I just want to go back for a second and say, you know, Did you notice, when did you, obviously you knew the guy she was dating, when did you first notice that there was something amiss with him? If if Um, ever. You
1: you know, honestly, I never had any sense that that relationship was any more problematic than any teenage relationship. so I, I'm in Atlanta. Jennifer was going to school in Austin, though. So Jennifer was with me in the summer and on the school breaks. But she, was, she spent the school year with her mother. But Jennifer did speak to me about, uh, you know, she asked me one time, why is it that boys lie? And to me, that was a fairly innocent, innocuous question. Um, obviously, all boys don't lie. And I, I told her that, but we talked about this pattern of deception that this that this person had. And in hindsight, I would say that that was probably one of the larger warning signs that this was could be have been a potentially dangerous uh, situation. But you know, lying is not yeah. Very I mean, every I mean,
0: that's that's you know, every teen movie, every adolescent puberty kid talks, you know, cheating on each other and all that stuff. I mean, that's kind of the thing. So it would be, you're right. I just can't even imagine. So when, I mean, did you have any more serious warning signs before the actual incident?
1: So I would say in terms of their relationship, I, even looking back, I don't, I, I mean, this is a Terrible message because I don't want parents to feel um, powerless, and I don't want educators to think that there's no point in addressing this. But in our situation, I will say that it was uh, very surprising. Uh, looking back at it, it's been difficult to identify warning signs. His his profile, though, I would say was is definitely full of warning signs. The the relationship itself, uh, less so. So, you know, one of the warning signs of a potentially abusive partner is somebody who, you know, has a, a pattern of getting in trouble with authorities. So, maybe uh, the school system or with the law. And this is somebody who, after she had ended the relationship already, he did get in trouble with the law. Um, so, I can look back in that and see that, okay, well, that's definitely one of the warning signs. But, but at that point, she had already ended the relationship.
0: She, so, so she had she had ended the relationship. So, tell us about the the incident, and you know what led her there. She ended the relationship. So, did he? You know, why was she there with him? Um, take us kind of through that. Yes.
1: Yeah, yes. So, um, you know, it, it's it's very frustrating because it's difficult for me to say that I would have expected Jennifer to do anything other than what she did. Uh, The last time I spoke with her was um, on Valentine's day and the following day, he had killed her. So when I spoke to her on Valentine's day, it was, you know, I would say just a, a regular father, daughter conversation talking about her plans for Valentine's day talking about her plans to get her own place because she was about to uh, graduate from high school. She was 18 years old. Uh, talking about, at a high level, her plans to, to go to college. But these, you know, this conversation, there was nothing very unusual about it because obviously we didn't realize that that would be the last conversation we ever had. But one thing she did tell me was that this person, the perpetrator, she told me that he had asked her if she would be willing to help him and give some advice to him about a used car that he wanted to purchase. Now, uh, Jennifer's mother and the perpetrator's mother both lived in the same neighborhood. And so it it was not unusual for them to, uh, to see each other, even after the relationship had ended, And they hung out in generally the same circle of friends. So again, nothing that really would have alarmed me very much, certainly not at the time. And so they went and they looked at this used vehicle. And it was walking back from this third party person's house in the same neighborhood, walking from there to Jennifer's mother's house, that they walked through the woods and in the woods he had hidden a shotgun. And he took the shotgun and shot Jennifer in the back of the head and left her body there.
0: Oh my God. Drew. Uh, so, oh, so sorry.
1: That's so thank funny. you. It, it, it's obviously it's there's,
0: no, there's no there's no word I mean, sorry, you know what I mean? There there is no words for that. It's your worst I, I, nightmare. I understand
1: that your worst um, nightmare and one of the things that did come to light eventually is that this third party whose car they went and looked at uh according to the police um this was actually the person who acquired the shotgun for the perpetrator so looking at this used car to buy was a ruse and from everything that i know this third party Uh, was involved in the ruse and was aware of what was going to
0: happen. Was there any history, you know, again, it's always the, you know, see something, say something, and, you know, this kind of behavior, school shootings, all of it. There's always a path to murder. So Mm -hmm. was there something, did she ever come forward? Was there any, besides that third party, in terms of the parents, did they have any inkling that their child was absolutely so disturbed and deranged?
1: Um, I, I will say that if there was any awareness, it's not something that's been shared with me. At least at that time, the perpetrator's mother was working for the sheriff's department. And so I, I'm, not, I'm not certain what her mindset would have been a, 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 about her son. Um, he was somebody who had just gotten in trouble with the law. He had just been released from some sort of juvenile boot camp, um, I believe, less than two weeks earlier. Um, but it's, it's difficult for me to say what his, his mother um, may have seen in terms of his behavior. Again, uh, you know, things like intimate partner violence, of which teen dating violence and domestic violence is a subset, very often what drives it is an unhealthy need for power and control. And so this would have been behavior that it's likely would have been seen throughout right. um, that's, that's,
0: that, that's the point that that's my question because you know just in all the studies and in all the you know different cases that I've come across, it's 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 really rare that, you know, it's not just that that simple twist of fate or, you know, a random act of violence. I mean, this was plotted, planned, third party. I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into something like that. So it's, it's hard for me to believe that, you know, at home, what what was going on at home, right? So right. It, it's terrible. So from there, um. Trial what what happened after that?
1: Uh, so eventually there was a a, a, a plea agreement was made. Uh, so rather than have to go through a full trial, uh, the only the, the only thing that happened publicly and I participated in it was him admitting to what he had done and then the opportunity for us to give our victim impact statements. Right. And so I went to Austin for that. And when at at that time, part of the plea bargain, the agreement that was made was that he had agreed to testify against this accomplice. And that was very surprising to uh, the media in Austin because people did not know that at the time. In fact, I got to Austin and they could not find his accomplice at first. And so I had to stay in a hotel um, for four or five days oh while gosh. the Texas Rangers were looking for him and eventually found him working on some kind of fishing boat in the Gulf of Mexico because they did not want to announce that they were going to be arresting him if he was out amongst the, the public. Right. Right. And so uh, that was very surprising to people.
0: So you surprising uh, that there was an accomplice, like they didn't realize there was an accomplice. Is that what I'm saying? Right, because
1: prior to that, yeah, the media reports prior to that really didn't provide any insight. Um, And actually I was the one who prompted, who prompted uh, them uh, getting from him this agreement that he would testify. Because when the DA's office in Austin, they were talking to me about, or we're going to accept this. We've, we've decided we want to accept this uh, plea for 35 years. And I pushed back. Now, I understand that in my role, I'm not able to say, no, you can't accept this. Uh, this is an unacceptable agreement. I know that. Um, I know that better now than I did then, because actually since Jennifer was killed, I've actually gone to law school and now have a law degree.
0: Oh, but congratulations time, congratulations uh, thank you. but i know it's amazing um, right how how because you know i too got involved with legislation after i was kidnapped and stalked and all that and it's it's amazing how you know again i go back to and the theme of this show is ordinary people who have had horrible things happen to them turn out and 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 create extraordinary things and i mean that is that's what life is i mean we have a choice right you can wallow and just never pull yourself up or, and, and what you said at the beginning about Jennifer, you know, she, she would go and live and, you know, be an incredible, wonderful, bright light in this world. Right. But this tragedy, I mean, think of, she is really living on more than, you know, others in the sense that think of, with what you've created and and I will get into that and just her name and her story and and all of it she is helping you know who knows how many young adolescents with teen dating violence and, and all of it in her with her legacy and what you've created for her and that is uh, that is truly really special
1: well, so thank you i mean i certainly hope that that's the case that's yes. my
0: goal so So you started Jennifer Ann's group with the raising awareness about teen violence. But the one thing that really caught my eye was the whole gaming, the video game Mm -hmm. part of things. So tell me how that started.
1: So um, I already had a technology background. And uh, obviously, um, when I found out that Jennifer had been killed, uh, to say that it it, it shocked me to the core is, is, is an understatement. I mean, oh. uh, I'm sure there are words to express what happened and how I felt, but I lack that vocabulary. I don't know how to communicate that. So what I did, um, my immediate thought was I need to do something because that's one of the issues for people who have been in really traumatic situations is the need to regain some control when you feel right. like, there's chaos and you've lost control.
0: Exactly. And you so know, agree- it's the, it's the it's the I just don't want to break in, but I love, you know, having this for, for, for our listeners and for our viewers who have either gone through something or or might go through something down the road. It's the PTSD that you have to recognize within you that I've, you know, I've I am in you you said it right. There are no words for this. There are no words, but you can feel it and you have to acknowledge it. And so what you do can be so productive and empowering to help yourself get over just enormous loss. So right. I, I think that's important for our viewers listeners to know is that within us, all of us have that ability. If you have something traumatic happen, God forbid, just know that within us, we have that core to turn something incredibly negative into something positive. Okay, I'm sorry. So keep no, going. No, no, absolutely <laughs> right. You're right.
1: The, the need to regain some control when everything feels very chaotic is, I mean, it's very empowering. And at least for me, I, I felt I had no option. Again, she was my only child.
0: Right. So
1: there was no other person for me to focus my energy. So the first thing I did was I created a website. Um, I have a a history of developing websites, and so I created a website for this organization, um, and it was basically, the goal was primarily to increase awareness at that time, because when people at work, I was a consultant at the time, people at work, when I would tell them it was teen dating violence, they would have to parse through those words, teen dating violence, and they would inevitably say, is that a thing? And I realized, well, I was not alone. I was not the only one who was unaware of this. The fact that they were parsing those words because they didn't know this label at that time. Right. Incidentally, the week before Jennifer was killed was the first ever awareness week for teen dating violence. So it's since 2010, in the entire month of February, But in 2006, it was a week, only a week. So after this week of awareness, Jennifer was killed. And I realized I need to do much more, um, I felt like, in order to increase awareness. So a website, um, which is, is, is wonderful, and it's a way of communicating information. And my thinking was, okay, well, even while I'm asleep, the website will keep churning out this information. So we came up, like, with 10 warning signs of a potentially abusive relationship, um, some tips on how to be safe. But the issue with the website was that it wasn't going in and knocking on doors and getting people's attention. If you didn't know that the website existed, you didn't know to go to it. And so you weren't learning this information. It was a very passive way of reaching people. And so i continued to try different things of of different ideas to try and be more engaging. One of the things we did, um, this is plastic. It's just like a credit card, it's the same form factor. We created this credit card size thing with uh, educational information. So the 10 warning signs of an abusive relationship on the reverse safety tips. Um, We produced hundreds of thousands of these over the years and delivered them to schools and organizations free of charge. Um, so that was one way to, to get into the school system and hopefully engage parents and maybe encourage them to talk about this, but it still felt very passive. So after that, I tried a t-shirt design competition, a poster to design competition, an essay writing competition.
0: <laughs> wow. What will it take to engage? <laughs> Those are some great ideas, by the way. Got it. I might well, be taking that.
1: I don't know. I'll tell you, it it was the throw everything at the wall and see if something sticks. And one of those ideas was uh, video games. Because I was thinking, you know, I'm trying to get people to come to me. I'm wanting educators, parents, adolescents to come to me and learn this information. I said, maybe what I need to do instead is go to where they are. And where they are, and where they were at that time and still are today. we're playing video games uh, to a large extent. Um, My brother at the time was uh, an editor of a well-known video game site. And so video games is something that just really made sense to me. And and at that time, my primary goal was just, um, you know, if we create a game that will appeal to young people, and so they'll play it just because they want to play the game, they will at the same time happen to learn this important information. Um, now, the other aspect was I was hoping to try and make the competition intriguing enough that we would get some media coverage.
0: That's because, the key, getting that yeah, media coverage. I
1: talk all the time, but if no one hears me, no one knows I'm right. talking. It doesn't,
0: it doesn't right. matter.
1: So one of the roles, and this, this is a role that's existed ever since, was we said, I mean, the tagline was, can you create a video game about teen dating violence without using any violence in the game itself.
0: And you did this and you sent that out, you contacted schools or how did you get, what was the medium to get out the word out to the, to the kids? And, and by the way, was it all over the country or was it just in a region? The first competition?
1: competition. I opened the competition. I believe that first year was only the United States. Um, oh. since then we've gone global with it though. But so I, I you know, when I first thought a video game, oh, a video game, that makes sense. But then I said, okay, well, I don't really know how to make a video game. Uh, so that's a problem. The other thing is, even if I did know how to make a video game, I really wasn't sure what information to include because I didn't want to make something that was just a quiz. You know, I wanted right. something that was more engaging. Um, right. because you know, Back when I was a kid, I remember like in social studies, we would have kind of a Jeopardy style quiz. It's like, well, this is fun, but it's kind of a a, kind of a lazy effort in some ways. I don't find that especially compelling. So I didn't want just a quiz. And so what that meant was I was going to have to reach out to people who did know, who had some ideas about what a game about teen dating violence would look like. And I figured between the hundreds of millions of people in the United States, at least one of them would have a much better idea than I did. And so we opened that up, that competition up, and we announced it. We announced it on the website that my brother was the editor of at the time, uh, Kotaku, um, which at, at that time was not nearly as well known as it's become. Uh, it's much better known now than it was at that time. And the, this, this prospect of using video games, which To many people, especially in the mainstream media, at that time they were associating with uh, being problematic or somehow creating or causing violence. To actually use it for violence prevention, okay, that got some attention. And so we. So that first, so that
0: so that first, who was the first winner of the competition?
1: (laughs) Um. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny because it's been so long and it, the game is unfortunately not even available right now because the technology it was created in
0: doesn't exist anymore.
1: At, welcome, yep. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So flat is what it was built in. A lot of the games have been built in flash and that's one of the things we're looking to do if we get the funding is to go back and make some of the, the earlier games available.
0: Back available. But, uh, so for the sake of time, cause they're yelling in mm-hmm. my ear. Um, how many just just quickly how many um winners have you had how many years has it been and is it still going on like how does how does answer that question first because what i do is i ask all these questions in a row and then you're like so how many winners have there been and how does someone get involved to enter the competition
1: over the years we've produced they haven't all been published. Over the years, we have produced now over 60, 60, wow. of these small, impactful pro social video games. And they've come from around the world, uh, everywhere from Argentina to Vanuatu. Wow. Um,
0: I don't even know where that is, but okay. I had to look it up. I trust you. But, it's far away. Okay. Go ahead. Near New Zealand.
1: It's okay. New Zealand. Got it. And uh, yeah, so we created a video game for them about consent. Uh, in, in the native language uh, of, of young people living in Vanuatu because they, World Vision sponsored that. And what they said is, you know, what they acknowledged was you, you can have a phone that you can play a game on even if you don't have broadband access or you might not have a computer lab in your school or you might not even have a computer at home. What a lot of people do have is they have this device. Right. And this device allows them to have this experience even if the infrastructure doesn't exist.
0: That that is amazing. That's amazing. So my last this is my last question. So, where does someone go to enter the competition to make a fantastic game?
1: So I would say start with our website, jenniferann.org. Um, and, and I will have
0: I, this on my website. I'll have the link to everything and um, for our viewers slash listeners and the podcast and, and you know where to find everything. So JenniferAnn.org.
1: Correct. And what we do is we usually announce the contest every February during the Awareness Month. Great. Um, everything is different right now. I might have to delay the competition because our funding, just like all other nonprofits during the pandemic. Right has dropped considerably. So we have about
0: well, half. Well, now that budget. we're having you on the show, listen out there, all you corporations for a really good idea, for a really good cause, JenniferAnn.org right here. It's a fantastic, wonderful cause. So I just want to just bring it back to to Jennifer. And, you know, this just absolutely should not be. The the teen dating violence Life is hard enough as a kid. Life is hard enough going through puberty. So, you know, with your knowledge, her legacy, and, you know, just the awareness, let, let's hope that messaging gets out there to really empower young adolescent men and women to know that violence is just not acceptable in any situation. Thank you Absolutely. so much for being here today, Drew. And um, you know, keep in touch. I'll put all your stuff up.
1: Thank you again, Kathleen, and again, thank you so much for covering this topic. Not Uh-oh. enough people recognize the need to address teen dating violence prevention. So, thank you.
0: Thanks, Drew. I appreciate that. Okay, so what an incredible story, and what a really, you know, ingenuity in, in, in with 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 everything that that drew did you know seth i just think again this this show is always about um you know ordinary people doing extraordinary things to really help in the battle uh to fight crime and drew uh, is one of those amazing people what are your uh, you
1: know thoughts? I, I have four kids but I only have one daughter so <clears throat> listen to that story really hits me hard and uh I don't how do you get a plea deal when you have premeditated murder like oh, that? I don't
0: understand. I, I didn't even we we actually I know. We, need, we need to do a whole nother show just on that. I was I, I wanted to get through because I wanted him to be able to talk about the gaming because that's just such a positive, right? But there were I had so He's many an more. Amazing
1: guy to, I had so many did. more questions about
0: it. that. Right? So I'd be let me quickly those
1: days of thirty-five years at home. I'd be
0: counting the days down oh, waiting oh, for oh, him. Oh yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. I'd be committing a crime to get in there with them. I know. know. Anyway, so as we always do at the end of every show, safety chick rules, safety chick tips. And these are actually from Drew, from Jennifer's website. And I'm going to read them. And again, um, we'll have them up on the website. So warning sign. Um, Somebody that prevents you from spending time with your friends or family. Like, uh, you know, a dating violence hotline is important for many reasons, including, you know, like a sanity check about your relationship. I- if you really feel something is off or not right in this, you know, person like, like Jennifer was talking to her dad about the lying or different things, you know, really have get that gut check, that gut instinct that something isn't right. And if you really feel that way, check in with somebody about it. And, you know, another warning sign is if a person blames you for their anger, if they're getting mad at you, if they're flying off the handle for no reason and you're, and you're there and they're like, it's you, you did this, you did that. That is a warning sign. Refusing to be accountable, or responsible for their actions while also manipulating reality. That That really, truly is something that that really sits. Um, Another warning sign, oof, tells you what to wear, what to do, or how to act. Yeah, that is so controlling. Abuse is related to unhealthy, and that's what Drew said, power and control. That is an unhealthy person that wants to control another person. You know, you should be comfortable in your skin. They should be comfortable in their skin. And it's just a good match where you each want the best for each other. Here's a tip. Memorize one or two phone numbers. I found this interesting. Abu- well, not that, not this part. Abuse- abusers often take away their partner's phone. And most of us rarely memorize phone numbers anymore. And that is true. So, you know, I still know my... Uh, home phone number from when i was like 6. But the point is, in this day of cell phones, for all you young people out there, really take the time to memorize, you know, i'm sure you know your moms or dads, you know, memorize some some phone numbers so that you can get out of the situation and if you have to run to the neighbors or whatever to call to call somebody, you know their their number in your head. And the last tip is establish a code word or a sign so family, friends, and co-workers will know when to call for help. So even if you have access to a phone, the abuser might be standing right there listening. And so, you know, come up with, you know, calling your mom and saying, you know, I think I ate something that was really bad and I feel really sick. Or, you know, hey, is Uncle Joe out of the hospital yet? Some phrase or something that could be a code that the police are needed or that, you know, your parents need to come and, and pick you up immediately. It's, it's always those code words are, are really valuable um, to save someone from a very uh, dangerous situation. So I, I really hope for you listeners and, and viewers out there that you take this to heart. And if you know anybody that is in an abusive relationship or you think revisiting the situation that you're in, please reach out to the hotline. I'll have the numbers on my website. Reach out to to, to organizations like jenniferann.org and do something about it because your life is just too precious for anyone to mess with. Until next time.